0: Hey, everybody, this is Mark Levine, and you're listening to the NYC Real Estate Podcast. Uh, Before we get into our guest today, just want to remind you, if you could uh, subscribe to the podcast and share it, that would be amazing. And you can always email the show at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. This is episode 34. So if you go back into the archives, we have a lot of great information. And today we are speaking again with Julie Schechter from Armstrong Teasdale. Hey, Julie.
1: Hey.
0: So you've been on Thanks like three, yeah, my pleasure. You've been on like three times during this COVID experience. So I, I always like talking to you and I feel like those are our highest rated podcasts when you come
1: on. Well, so that it's... must be because of me. Of course. <laughs> it's our
0: It's our natural, you know, give and take on the, the real estate law slash real estate issues that are happening. In
1: your... That must be it.
0: So uh, you're, you want to give your background?
1: Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening. My name is Julie Schechter. I'm an attorney in the New York office of Armstrong Teasdale. We're a national law firm, um, but the New York office is uh, majority real estate, and I'm part of the co-op and condo practice. We represent over 450 co-op and condo boards in the New York metropolitan area. Um, and i work with mark all the time we share buildings he does the management i do the legal and we make a great team so thanks again for having me
0: no problem so today we wanted to talk about just something that happens in a lot of buildings and it's when somebody passes away and it could be either a unit owner or it could be a shareholder i guess we could also get into the rental side of it too after and that kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with the co-op stuff but what happens? What's the ability of the person that's either living in the apartment to stay there? What happens if there's somebody that dies without a will? They die in test What happens when they die with a will? Test date. And what's the mechanisms in place for the co-op and or the condo to either allow somebody to transfer in uh, as a shareholder, unit owner? I think it's probably a little bit easier on the condo side. The co-op yeah, is probably definitely. a little bit more complex. Um, but we, we, I just wanted to, since this is a topic that comes up every so often with us, I mean, as people pass away, it's unfortunate, but there are steps that we have to watch for and uh, allow or not allow people into the building that may have received it through the will may have inherited it, but may not actually be eligible to live in the building for different reasons. So why don't we start talking about that off the bat?
1: Okay, well, um, a big issue when somebody dies is to in a co op is to look at how the shares are held. So uh, shares can be held one of three ways they can be held as joint tenants, as tenants by the entirety, which means between husband and wife, or as tenants in common. Um, if there's nothing written on the stock certificate, it just has two or more people's names, then tenancy. Uh, tenancy in common is assumed unless they were married. So um, on January 1, 1996, which is a very important date, um, after that date, if a husband and wife bought shares together, but they didn't list how they wanted the shares to be held, so they didn't say tenants by the entirety, it just said their names, the tenancy by the entirety was presumed and the reason a tenancy by the entirety or joint tenants or um, tenants in common is important is because of what happens upon death so there's something called a right of survivorship which means that when one person dies the ba- you know their portion or their ownership interest in the shares and the lease of the co- of the corporation automatically go to the other person just upon their death it's automatic um, and so, therefore, it's common for husband and wife to own tenants, at, you know, own shares either as joint tenants or tenants by the entirety, both of which carry a right of survivorship. The other type of ownership is tenants in common, which if that means that if one of the people who is on the stock certificate were to die, the shares, their ownership interest in the shares, does not automatically vest in the other shareholders. You actually have to probate their estate. And there's a series of steps that you have to comply with in all of our co-ops. I know Mark's transfer department handles things similarly um, that we need to see before we can transfer the shares. So I'll run down a quick list of the things that we like to see. um, And then I'll bump it back over to you, Mark. So (laughs) obviously a death certificate. Um, We want to make sure that the person that you're claiming died actually died. And so it's important to submit that Um, Now, the next step is letters testamentary or letters of administration. And what this means is a court will appoint somebody, either there will be somebody in a will or in a trust who will be appointed to handle the estate, or in the case that there's no one, a court can appoint somebody who will handle the estate. But until we have a certificate that tells us who that person is, then we don't have the ability to allow anybody to transfer because somebody has to sign on behalf of the deceased person. So it's very important to get a certificate of administration or, a, uh, or letters testamentary or letters of administration. Um, we also like to see them just as a side note to be dated within six months of the date of the transfer only because sometimes things change um, you know, the, the administrator could die or could decide that they don't want that responsibility anymore. And so in order to make sure that the letters are current, we make them, you know, we ask for the estate to submit them, um, you know, uh, letters that have not expired yet that are within six months of the transfer. Um, another thing is transfer taxes. So um, there are transfer. Uh, sorry, I'd rather estate taxes. Estate taxes are applied by the city, uh, by New York State, and by the federal government. So if you have, um, I think it's 5.8 um, is the threshold in New York State. So if your estate is over that, um, it's subject to a New York State estate tax. And it's 11.4 uh, million if, uh, for the federal estate tax. So what this means is. If, you're, if the deceased person's estate, including all of their properties and everything, exceeds that amount, then they have to pay an, an estate tax. Um, and from the co-ops perspective, we like to see um, a form that says the estate taxes have been paid. Uh, we require it before we'll transfer. So 11.4 is a very big threshold. That's the federal amount. And so, uh, you know, in the past couple of years, the amount has increased significantly. It didn't always used to be that high. So whereas we used to always ask the deceased um, person's estate to present evidence that the federal estate taxes have been paid, um, we're easing up on that requirement, especially if it's, um, you know, a middle income building, um, somewhere where it would be unlikely to, for someone to have an estate of $11.4 million. Um, As far as New York State, the, um, the threshold is 5.8. So it sounds very high, but yeah. in New York, you could have people who have $5.8 million in their estate fairly frequently. And so as a general rule, we always require um, a certificate from the state of New York. It's called an ET-117 form. And we require the estate to submit that to demonstrate that either there are no New York State estate taxes due, or if there were taxes due that they've been paid and we don't allow the transfers to happen until we have that certificate and If they're transferring to a buyer, the buyer is going to want to see that also because they're going to want to make sure that everything was paid off and cleared before they take ownership. They're not
0: going to be responsible for anything.
1: That that They're not going to be responsible for anything also. So if you're representing a purchaser, if you are a purchaser, um, if you're the seller's attorney on behalf of the estate, you want to make sure um, that you have this ET 117 form just to demonstrate that all of the New York State estate taxes have been paid.
0: So before uh, before that magic date of January 1st, 96, right? That was when married couples started, even if they were you said weren't listed on the stock certificate of uh, tenants by the entirety, right? Well, and so now- if
1: they if so if the stock certificate is blank, a tenancy yep. in common is assumed. Mm-hmm. So that means no right of survivorship Um, but because um it most husbands and wives or i guess now men can marry men so husbands and husbands wives and wives as long as you're married spouses is the more appropriate thing that we should say married couples um, it's assumed that married couples want it if one of them dies for the balance of their estate to go to the other and so in 1996 new york state government decided that even if It's silent instead of, you know, in case nothing's written, it just says your names and it doesn't say how the um, ownership is held. Um, Instead of presuming that it's a tenancy in common with no right of survivorship, if you're married at the time of the purchase and it's after 1996, we're going to assume that it was a tenancy by the entirety and there is a right of survivorship.
0: So, Walk me back a few years. If we have somebody that let's say purchased in 1984, 1992, 1995, anything right. before then, if they haven't had that noted, let's say in a co-op on the on the stock certificate, noting that they are owning in, let's say, the tenant by the entirety, and one of those parties dies, they're deceased.
1: Yeah, that's an now excellent it- question mark, and believe it or not, this issue comes up all the time. It comes up. Uh, monthly for us um, basically the answer is if the if it just says two names on the stock certificate and it's silent about how the shares are held even if they're husband and wife if they purchased before 1996 like in 1984 then it's a tenancy in common and there's no right of survivorship which means that if the husband dies it won't automatically, his ownership interest will not automatically go to the wife and they'll have to probate the estate and present a lot of the documents that we were discussing before. So
0: Let me for me people one. who are
1: listening, who are thinking about buying property, be sure when you do it, and this goes for a deed in a condominium or a proprietary lease, make sure that the way you want to take the shares, your ownership is noted um, either on your deed or on your stock certificate, so that there's no confusion upon your death, what was intended.
0: Let me ask you a question. So, in a co-op, when there's a mortgage, the bank holds the stock as collateral. So, right. let's take the bank out because now that's another layer of getting an approval to change. If I hold the stock and I don't have a mortgage and I've, I own it out. I own the shares outright. I'm not collateralized. Collateralized with a bank uh, for that. If I did, if, let's say I purchased in 1985 and I haven't gotten that, you know. Uh, tenants by the entirety, and I'm married, I have a spouse. What are the steps that I would take as a shareholder to have the board allow me to update the stock certificate to show tenants by the entirety since I have to mark it out since the purchase was prior to 1996? Is that something that I would need board approval on? Or is, you know, I hold the original stock, but also the co op? holds a copy of it so we could see the change.
1: You bring up another interesting point, which is don't take out a pen and write tenancy by the entirety (laughs) on your original stock certificate because that plan doesn't work. (laughs) The co-op also holds a copy of your stock certificate and they will know when you do that. So- Um, if you want to switch the way your ownership is held, if you got married after you purchased or something like that, you should contact the transfer agent at your management company or at your law firm. Um, and they can go over the steps for how to complete the transfer. Usually, um, uh, board approval isn't usually required for something like that in the sense that the board, um, There's usually a provision in the proprietary lease that says the board can't unreasonably or that they just don't have the right to withhold consent if you're transferring among spouses. So if you're already married and you want your wife or your husband to be on the stock certificate with you, typically you don't need the board's consent for that. But again, you always want to check the proprietary lease because sometimes you do. I've seen stranger things. but. Yeah. That's a really good point. Don't take out a pen and try to do it yourself and think that yeah. nobody's going to notice because we notice and it happens all the time. And it's, it's been, sure. they act surprised, you know, now that they, now that they've come up with this scheme, then when you say to them, well, we have different ownership listed, then they have to act until they admit the wrongdoing. So it's kind yeah. of entertaining, but.
0: And it's an easy thing to put because I've sat in numerous closings where at the closing, they, the lawyer for the purchaser just Says, can you put the code on the stock certificate? Right. The co-op for this case, you know, on the back of the stock, there's all these codes for different um, ownership types, and they always just ask us if it's that situation to put it on. Uh, right, exactly. The At the
1: time of the closing, and and this owner, how you're going to take ownership doesn't doesn't have to even be pre decided before the closing. You could get to the closing and decide then how you want to do it. And typically, your lawyer will ask you how you want to take ownership yeah. um, if if it's more than one person. Again, this, you know, we're speaking as if there's multiple people involved, but if there's only one person involved and that person dies, you have the same issue where you're gonna need to present evidence um, before we'll transfer the estate. Another thing that we ask for, Mark, is for the estate to get what's called a lien search. Um, A lien search is similar to a title search that you would do if you were buying real property, but in this case, it searches for liens that may be on the co-op shares So the biggest example is a mortgage or in a co-op, it's called a share loan, Um, but the bank will, in exchange for giving you the money, they put a lien on your uh, apartment so that everybody, that's not exactly a lien, but they let everybody know that there's a mortgage out there. Um, There's also mechanics liens that could happen if you had work done in your apartment, and you yep. stiff the um, contractor. The contractor could put a mechanics lien. That's actually a on good point. Uh,
0: even just veering off this topic, whenever we have an alteration agreement or a decoration agreement in any of our buildings, we also include a waiver um, of a, uh, a waiver of lien. So every progress payment right. that they make, to that are supposed to do this, every progress payment that a <laughs> shareholder or unit owner makes they have the contractor sign that they've received this amount and they basically release the, uh, shareholder of a lien of that amount. Cause at the end of the day, if they go after the shareholder, there's a very good possibility in a co-op, especially that they're going to go after the building as well and mace it. And that could negatively affect people that purchase in the building. And also if you do a refining. Right. Uh, so we're on top of That's that.
1: A so good
0: point. another question that I have is if we're, um, If we're in the space where, let's say, some okay, so we've already established that a lot of proprietary leases cover the spouse-to-spouse transfer. Now we get into a situation where both parents have died, they've left the apartment to a child. Um, Let's say an estate is established and they are running through the process just because they are the child of the shareholders who who are now deceased they don't necessarily, they could be transferred the asset of the shares, but that doesn't necessarily give them the right to occupy, correct?
1: That's absolutely right. Um, So there, you know, often we find families that are confused about that. Um, You know, they'll say, oh, well, my mom owned this apartment, so therefore I have a right to live there. And that's not actually true. Um, You know, the ownership interest may transfer from, mother to son for example upon the mother's death but the right of occupancy is not automatic so you have to look at what it says in the proprietary lease about transferring the ownership interest typically it says something like um the board cannot unreasonably withhold its consent to transfer to uh you know, financially responsible adult of, yeah. of the immediate family. So if you are the son and you're over 18 and you are financially able to carry the apartment, then the board doesn't have the right to unreasonably withhold its consent to transfer to you. And then at that point you would be able to move in and occupy the apartment. Um, right. A lot of times when there's a, a deceased parent or a deceased person, um, even though, you know, the right of owner, you know, the right to occupancy hasn't transferred, the right to ownership has, which means um, that those people can then sell the apartment if they don't have an interest in living there. So that, you know, we would want to see all of those estate documents. And once those were in order, we would allow them to sell it.
0: You bring up a good point. Uh, Financially, uh, financial wherewithal to assume the apartment, it's debt, which would be the maintenance and the mortgage, if any, so we always caution our clients that if you are looking at a transfer application, you still have to abide by the discrimination laws that are federal and city and state. So that, that's a great point. Yeah, we're really only looking at them from a financial point of view. We really can't look at anything else. You, we're not going to go through the different classes of discrimination, but there are multiple avenues for somebody to say, I was discriminated against and then sue the building and then get into the building. So,
1: yeah, the- that's absolutely, that's absolutely right, Mark. The threshold for rejecting somebody in that situation is very, very low. And so boards have to be careful. You know they may be stuck with the immediate family member of a deceased shareholder, whether they like it or not.
0: Yeah. Um, if somebody dies without a will, how does that what's the process? You don't have to walk us through the entirety of it, but traditionally, let's say I'm living in my apartment alone. Uh, I pass away. I have no immediate family. I have no will. What's, what happens to everything that I own, including this apartment or these shares in the corporation?
1: Um, Well, so I had talked about this briefly before, but um, there's two types of letters that you need to get um, from the surrogate's court. Once somebody is deceased, there's either letters testamentary um, or letters of administration. So, letters testamentary is when somebody dies with a will, and letters of administration is when somebody dies intestate. Um, and so, usually, the next of kin comes forward. We hope they do if somebody dies. Um, and then we tell them to, you know, probate the estate, have somebody appointed as the executor, in which case, a court can appoint somebody as the executor if there is no will. Um, you know, often, you know, again, just to rem- remind everybody about the automatic transfer to a spouse. So if, you know, if husband dies with no will, um, usually there's a right in the lease for it automatically to go, or I shouldn't say automatically, but to go to the wife without um, requiring the board's consent.
0: Now I have an apartment, this is hypothetical. I have an apartment, okay. somebody died and- there's nobody paying the maintenance right now. It went into, um, maybe they died without a will, maybe they died with a will. We don't know. We can't contact people. Uh, so we have a recognition agreement on the co-op side with the bank that holds the mortgage. If there's a mortgage saying, you know, contact us, the bank saying this, contact us if there's any payment issues. If you have anybody that's looking to sublease their apartment, they want permission the bank in order to do that. But that also gives us the mechanism in place to contact them should somebody have passed away so that we don't run into a situation where we're not collecting the maintenance because that that bank, in order to save their collateral, may step into the shoes of that shareholder. So and for a building that's looking at, you know, especially in this COVID environment where people are out of work, maybe cash flow is an issue, you know, layering on top of that people who have um, passed away and not paying maintenance is certainly something to look at. So we could, we could physically contact the bank and if they're agreeable, they'll start paying the maintenance so that it doesn't go into default and they don't have to worry about an eviction process and the foreclosure of shares. Yeah,
1: that's a great point. Thank yeah.
0: you, Julie. I've been working on it. <laughs> got my list.
1: You sound like you know what you're talking about.
0: Maybe. I might have absorbed enough from you guys to, to make it worth Would it. Actually, try. as try. a side note, I I sat in for a class. At, I went to Baruch College in the city. I, did, I was in the real estate program back in 1998, I started. So I sat in on a whole course, uh, a class last week, and it was a zoom class. And I walked them for an hour and a half. And I could have spoken for two more hours. I was like, Oh, it's over already. You know, it was like one of those things where it just went so quick. Yeah. And, Time flies I,
1: and you're having fun.
0: Yeah, it really went, it flew by. And they got like three questions. I hope that people weren't bored. But it was in their real estate division. And I, I told them one of the most important classes that I liked, and that i Felt like i gained something from when i was in the real estate program there was the real estate law and you don't really realize when you're in college and you're dealing with all these things as uh, hypotheticals but in day-to-day just having a a random understanding of you know various things is very helpful but
1: yeah uh, definitely especially when it's real estate related because Mm-hmm. Some areas of the law you may never encounter. Let's hope you don't need to know your criminal rights, but you know, <laughs> at some point in your life, you hope to buy property and knowing yeah. a little bit about real estate law is definitely helpful.
0: That is very true. So do you see a lot, you see a lot of these issues where people pass away and you know, the boards are trying to figure it out. But I think I, what you said before in terms of, I like to see items one, two, three, four, five. And I think if a, if a managing agent and by the, virtue of that, the building has a policy in place, you know, just not from the attorney's side, but from the management side where we say, okay, should somebody pass away and you're looking to transfer it, just have a package, just like a a normal transfer application uh, where if, you know, have that all laid out so that we get that, you could fast track it, we could give it to the board and we can kind of get it settled. So I think prep work beforehand is going to be very important for this and for everything else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have a list with bullet points, um, and as soon as we find out a shareholder died and they want to transfer the apartment, you know, we have our standard list, which is the items that we described, and we just send it off to um, whoever is the next of kin. Uh, if they're asking, what do we do next, which is a question we get all the time yeah. after somebody dies. And the other thing that I think is worth mentioning um, is what happens if somebody dies and they can't find the original stock and lease. So all the time people replace their stocks and lease, you know, their stock yep. certificates. And I, I mean, for most people, if you have a mortgage um, or a share loan, the bank holds it. And so you can't even lose it if you tried because it's not in your possession,
0: but the bank more than not.
1: Loses. Well, the bank maybe loses it, but that's <laughs> their problem. Um, yeah, but then
0: they have to pay to replace it, right. which I'm happy about as a management company. That's <laughs> right, that's where right. we make our money is, you know, when Bank of right. America so keep, or Wells Fargo. We bring
1: them in random warehouses exactly. in Nevada and losing yeah. them banks. Um, but when the shareholder has to hold the stock certificate themselves, it's not uncommon for them to lose it. I mean, think about it. People own their apartments for seven years, 10 years, 30 years, and you yeah. hold on to one piece of paper. It's yeah. not uncommon for that to be lost. But yeah. If there's a living shareholder, or you know, two living shareholders that own a property together, and you know, after ten years they come to us and they want to sell it and they've lost their stock certificate, it's not a big deal. We prepare an affidavit of lost stock, you know, or and lease if they lost the lease too. And this form simply says, you know, I was in possession of it, I misplaced it. If I find it, I'm going to bring it to you, but I right. promise I haven't done anything to convey the property.
0: And you haven't pledged any collateral with yeah, it. Yeah, I
1: haven't pledged any collateral. I haven't sold it to anybody. I haven't transferred it to anybody. Um, I just simply lost it, and you know, or it's been destroyed or something like that. And if I find it, I'll turn it in. Right. Um, and for us, you know, we have no problem accepting an affidavit like that from the shareholders because they're the people who are the only position to know what actually happened to the stock certificate because it was given to them when they purchased. Um, it, it becomes an issue if an estate can't find the original stock and lease because they you know the deceased You can't person, have the deceased
0: shareholder yeah, you saying can't have I the didn't dead guy it.
1: fill out a form um yeah. and only the deceased person is going to be able to tell you whether they conveyed it or right. used it at you know put it up as collateral or something like that so in that situation what we do is we ask the um the sellers to get us what's called an Eagle nine policy. Um, there are other similar policies,
0: yeah. but and that's a title policy. That is, that's policy. right. It's
1: a title yeah. policy. It comes from the title company. It's an extra level of insurance. Um,
0: there are some buildings that I have, not even just for deceased, but we've gotten the opinion that if anybody loses, stock certificate that we should it's probably good practice to have it because you know what that is
1: a good practice because it gives an extra level of insurance to the co-op um and speaking of which when you get one of those the co-op usually asks for what's called a co-op endorsement um which is just an extra page that they tack on to the end of the policy but it costs you a little bit extra but yeah mark that probably is the best practice the only issue is that eagle lines can be expensive so this we is, often yeah. get a lot of pushback from people who say, listen, I just lost my yeah. stock certificate. You're gonna make me spend a thousand dollars to get a policy.
0: I get the same reaction on a $300 reproduction fee. So I can well, imagine that yeah, when you're so that. Yeah, so imagine
1: when you make them get a thousand dollars, what they do. There's also, you know, I've heard of buildings that if you lose it, um, if you lose the stock certificate, they make you put up a bond, which is even more expensive. Right. And you wanna really piss off people, you can make them put up a bond.
0: So and they publicly okay. shame you and tar and feather
1: you. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> It's right.
0: like at the annual that's, meeting, everybody come up. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's Gross right. Feathers. Um, but so, um, but so, yeah. So just note that if it's a, a deceased person and this stock and lease can't be found, you know, an affidavit is just simply not possible. And you're going to have to either get an Eagle 9 or yeah. put up a bond um, in order to placate the co-op and let them know that they have this extra level of insurance and that you know it's okay to transfer
0: what's the average time frame in normal life not in covid times because everything's down here yeah somebody dies state gets set up transfers happen and then we figure that out like what's the is it six months is it nine months because that's also and i i'm only asking and i'm prefacing this by saying it's a long time because i want everybody to know that like how we about getting in touch with the bank before to make sure that there's no uh, issues with payments because this could be up to a year, right? These are slow processes.
1: Yeah, it's a slow process. Um, You know, to go to the surrogates court in order to probate a will can take a long time. Um, The, you know, New York State, they're able to issue that ET 117 to demonstrate that no more taxes, no estate taxes are due. They're getting better they're not too terribly slow it could still take two three months but the federal um you know if you're near that 11.4 million dollar threshold and the co-op wants to see either that you've paid your federal estate taxes or that none are due the irs could take eight months to get you that form and the co-op won't transfer you know typically won't transfer without it so It depends how backed up the surrogates courts are. It depends how backed up New York state and and the IRS are. But you bring up a good point that nobody should think that this happened, you know, that you could get all the paperwork together in a week. Um, And so I caution people because we have this all the time where um, executors of an estate will enter into a contract of sale and then say, okay, we'll get the estate documents together now that we're in contract. Yes. Except yeah. Once you're in contract, it's people want to close in 60 days and it's yeah. definitely going to take you longer than 60 days to get all of these documents. So you bring up a good point, Mark. You definitely want to start ahead of time um, because it could take it could take a while before you're able to transfer.
0: Now, I'm in a rental building, right? And yes. I have a lease and I. Uh, it was a bad shower. I <laughs> fell. I hit my head. It's my biggest fear, by the way. Flipping
1: in the shower,
0: just anything. I'm always like, this is personal, right? So ever since I was a teenager living in the city by myself, yeah, I'm always freaked out when I'm by myself of being by myself and like something happening to me and nobody knowing about it for like a month. But let's say, yeah, (laughs) let's take my personal neuroses out of this (laughs) whole equation. So I'm I'm in a rental building. I have a lease. I live alone. I pass away. That's a much easier, uh, I'm assuming, a much easier transaction for the landlord. My family comes once they find me a month later, picks out my stuff and vacates the apartment. What What does it look like from a rental perspective when that happens? What What I happens mean, to the lease traditionally?
1: Yeah, so, so typically a landlord should ask whoever comes to the apartment if they have a um, letters testamentary or who the you know executor is and not just let whoever shows up come in because maybe you know the person who died hates their sister has not spoken to her in 30 years and then the sister comes up out of the woodwork once she hears about the death to steal artwork or you know take jewelry that she's not really entitled to so a good landlord would ask to see documentation of who um, is handling the estate. Whether they do or not is another question. Uh, they let you in, clear things out. Typically, um, you, you would remain on the hook so long, you know, the estate would remain on the hook so long as there's property in there. Um, but, you know, most landlords will, once you clear out the property, the lease will be over and they'll lease it to somebody else and move on. Usually it's just much easier process that way.
0: Wow. We covered a lot today.
1: That was a lot. actually
0: that was a really good conversation i i feel like i learned something every time i speak to people like you who are smart and know their stuff i always feel like i just absorb it so i appreciate it. well that.
1: thank you for putting me into the category of people who are smart and know oh, their stuff
0: <laughs> fishing for compliments
1: <laughs> well thank you for having me it is always a pleasure to be with you who is also knowledgeable about all thank things you. co-ops and condos <laughs>
0: I try. Oh, we're doing a class on Sunday. So this is yes. gonna, I'll put this out today. Today's November help people. Can you
1: put a put some text at the bottom of the screen? Are you there? I'm not
0: gonna get that fancy today. I'm oh, literally okay. just uploading it, but I will put it in the description. And I'll say, you know, we're doing a class together. I think it's a Zoom class also this it year. It is a Zoom class. We usually do it in person. If you
1: can't get enough of me and Mark and you wanna yeah. devote your Sunday to you hearing see us more
0: of the shtick, speak yeah. some
1: more,
0: the CNYC you are shows. in luck. So if you go to cnyc.com, right, right. cnyc.com.
1: Yeah.
0: The housing conference, it's November 15th on Sunday. That's the
1: Council of New York Cooperatives.
0: Yep. And we're doing a class on resident communication. Uh, You joined us for the first time last year and we had a fun time.
1: I did. We um, had a fun time.
0: Yeah. You replaced an attorney who had done it for a long time before and Lloyd Krein, who does it with us. He's the guy that started it. Yeah, Lloyd is great. He's
1: a webmaster
0: and talks about all the
1: new cool techie things that you could do.
0: So if you're still listening at this moment (laughs) in the podcast and you have nothing to do on a Sunday, you can join us at the CNYC housing conference. So what's your phone number and what's your email? And I'm also going to put it in uh, as well to the comments of the video and also or the description of the video and also to the description of the podcast.
1: Okay so if you want to reach me with any legal questions or for representation my phone number is 212 209 4400 so it's 212 209 4400 and my email address is J as in Julie Schechter which is S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R at A- t com, so it's j Schechter at dot all
0: right well awesome we will do this again
1: absolutely
0: we'll find some good topics and maybe I maybe if
1: there's it. no more pandemic we can actually do it in person
0: oh, that'd be nice so nice i, I know. know all right well thanks and we'll see you next time
1: <laughs> i look forward to it thanks mark bye-bye bye